Well, folks, it's uh, good to spend some time uh, with you this morning. I didn't uh, remember to tell uh, the first service, but I did want to let you guys know. Uh, Kath was in touch with uh, Pastor Paul uh, yesterday, and honey, they're coming. He's coming up. Preston's coming home today. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, his little baby son's coming home today, which is uh, ahead of time, which is very exciting. So we're we're grateful for that. Continue to to pray for. Uh, Paul and uh, Kristen and uh, little Preston as his uh, heart gets completely healed. Uh, so they've got, still have a kind of a long road ahead of them. I think they've got, you know, cardiologist appointments every week for, you know, whoever knows how long, but uh, continue to pray for them. Hey, I wasn't here last week. Uh, Kathy and I and my daughter Nicole took the opportunity to uh, head out to uh, Ohio to watch uh, one of my son's girls basketball uh, games and we had a, had a great time. Worked out good. John's team won. Typically, when John's team does not win, a visit is not a whole lot of fun with him. Uh, but we had a, a really nice time with him. We got back on uh, Sunday evening, and the instant we opened the door, I knew something was uh, not right in our home. Uh, there was a uh, the sound of Elvis. Uh, playing Christmas music, and it was uh, one of those like Santa Clauses that dances and things like that. And I thought, oh no, my parents have been in our home. Don't give your parents keys to your house, folks. Uh, but my mom is, uh, a couple years ago, she got big into this whole elf on a shelf thing, which is one real freaky kind of thing where, you know, the shelf is like, or elf is like watching you. And uh, so she decided that she would load our house with elves. They were everywhere, including sitting on the toilet in our bathroom with a note that says, you're invading my privacy. And she has done this kind of stuff over the last couple of years. And, uh, and then that requires for us to retaliate and, you know, and then they retaliate and it's this whole crazy thing. And I'm like, Kath, we have to stop this in its tracks. We've got to do something so diabolical that they will not be able to do anything bigger than that. And so I went out onto Amazon and I found a five foot tall inflatable lighted elf that looks like the son of Satan. <laughs> and uh, yesterday morning in the midst of the rain while my parents were out shopping, Kathy and I and Nicole went over and I erected it on their roof. <laughs> and so... Uh, Wait, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, I got to finish up the message. You know, these people are paying me to do messages, not put elves up on roofs. And so I got back to the office and I was working on putting the financing touches on the message. And my t phone starts blowing up and it's Kath and she's like, uh, Aunt Sue, who's my mom's sister who lives across the street from him, which is weird in and of itself too, uh, that they would live that close to one another. But, uh, She's reported that the elf has fallen over. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So Kath loads the ladder up in the car. I meet her over at my parents' house. We get the elf re-erected, tightened up so it wouldn't fall. And, uh, you know, my parents come home. And uh, my mom tells me that it was one of the funniest things that she has seen in, in a long time. They laughed and laughed and laughed. And then they said, you need to get it off our roof. <laughs> Like, really? It's raining. And so they, they cut me a break, and they're going to let it up through today. But uh, 
Hopefully I have stopped them. We had a note in there on one of the other elves that they needed to raise the white flag of surrender, which I found in my office this morning, uh, that they, they've now surrendered until next year. So uh, if anyone knows where I can get a 20-foot tall inflatable elf for next year, let me know, and we'll flatten this again. So, Well, hey, we're working our way through uh, our Advent series. Uh, Pastor Ben came up with a great idea a little while ago. Uh, that we would do something called a Christmas worth waiting for. And uh, he came up with the, the different passages that we were uh, going to be working through. And uh, two weeks ago, uh, I was assigned uh, the passage to, to talk about the promise that God made in Genesis 3 uh, to Adam and Eve and, and ultimately to Satan, that while uh, Satan would bruise the offspring of Eve's heel, that her offspring would ultimately crush uh, Satan's head. And so that was my, my assignment for two weeks ago. And then Pastor Ben uh, was assigned himself last week, uh, the, the passage there in Genesis 12, where God makes a promise to Abraham that he will be, uh, his people will be a great nation. And, and uh, Pastor Ben showed you how that God would provide a savior that, that would fulfill that promise and that would allow all of us who are, are non, or the vast majority of us who are are not of Jewish background to be able to inherit that promise. And uh, this week, we're going to look at uh, the promise that God gives in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 17 about a wonderful kingdom complete with a wonderful king uh, for those who embrace Jesus through repentance and faith. And, and I, as I started working through this passage, the first of all, I, I came into Pastor Ben's office and I'm like, dude, this is not an easy passage. Why did you give this one to me? You're the one that went to Dallas. I went to Weinbrenner Theological Seminary, you know. And, uh, but he helped me and we worked together, together through this passage. But as I was thinking about it, you know, uh, talking to a, a, a group of people living in America about kings and kingdoms, you know, most of us don't have a very good uh, image of kings and kingdoms. I mean, especially, you know, when I was growing up, you know, in, in middle school, you had American history class and you le learned about King George III and how uh, horrible a king he was. And, you know, that's why our, our forefathers and foremothers needed to, you know, have an American revolution. And, yeah, you know, there were sayings, you know, uh, taxation without representation, you know, one if by land, two if by sea, don't, don't tread on me. You know, those are all the images of, of a kingdom. A kingdom was not something good. It was something that we, we needed to, to flee from. And then, you know, uh, you looked at some of the other kings over, over the years, and they're just, they're like gnarly people. I mean, there was Ivan the Terrible back, uh, it was a czar in, uh, in Russia back in the 16th century. I mean, as a kid, he fed one of the other neighbor kids to a dog. As an adult, he, he beat up his pregnant uh, daughter-in-law. He killed his Son, he, he murdered thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. He went through five wives in nine years. And we look at kings and kingdoms and say, don't sign me up for that. And then, then when you, you even look at, you know, the made-up kingdoms, like uh, when we're singing the, uh, the, the song here, the, uh, the Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah uh, song, uh, that had the Christmas tune to it. Well, that, that also, the kind of the, the non-Christmas tune of that is played in the beginning of the movie Shrek, if you remember that. And uh, 
you know, that, that little King Lord Farquhar, whatever his name was, he was a bad dude. I mean, he was, he was torturing the, the, the gingerbread man in that. I mean, we do not like kings and kingdoms. And so here I am, I'm assigned to, to tell you uh, uh, about a wonderful king and a wonderful kingdom, despite all of these negative feelings that we have. And uh, the Bible teaches us there is this great king who cares about and loves and sacrifices for his subjects. It, it tells us that he's going to rule over this amazing kingdom that, that is, is going to be a kingdom that's known for righteousness and, and peace and joy, and that in this kingdom there's going to be no death or mourning or crying or pain or hatred or violence. War will be long forgotten. I mean, that's the promise that God is, is, is making to us that we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible with you, Open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. Uh, I, I don't know that we've ever preached out of Chronicles here at Living Water Community Church. I know this is a, uh, I didn't even have commentaries. I had to borrow commentaries on, on 1 Chronicles here. So uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. And uh, if you are able to stand, if you would do so in honor of God's word, 1 Chronicles chapter 17 starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now, when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the, Lord, or the, ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build a house for me to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them and they, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be to him as a father, and he shall be to me as a son. And I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Now in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Now, the events that I just read to you, they, they occurred about 3,000 years ago. And uh, the David that is talked about in this passage is, is King David. He's the second king of the Israelites. He's a good man. He, he's not without his flaws like every one of us. We've all got our issues. We've all got our, our sins. Uh, but God has appointed him to be uh, king, and he has done this after the horrific reign of Israel's first king, a very, very, very bad man by the name of Saul. And the, the people of Israel, they loved David. So they loved him so much, and God had so much favor on David that he was called a man after God's own heart. And shortly after becoming king, uh, David gathered the Israelites together, and they kind of went on a military campaign, and ultimately they conquered the city of Jerusalem, and, and they made that their, their political capital, but also they made it their religious capital. And after Jerusalem had been secured, David went and he got the Ark of the Covenant. And if any of you remember the first Indiana Jones movie, that was about the Ark of the Covenant. It's basically this gold coffin. And inside the gold coffin, there exists the two tablets that the Ten Commandments were inscribed on, along with a couple other religious, important religious relics from Israel's past. And, and he brings the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. And his plan is that he's going to, to build a, a, a temple, a, a permanent place to house the Ark of the Covenant because it had been in the, in the tabernacle, basically this tent that was set up and tore down and set up and tore down. They're going to have a permanent place where the Ark of the Covenant would be, and where the people of Israel would worship God. And so David comes to his friend by the name of Nathan, who's a prophet, and says, hey, Nathan, I got this great idea. I'm going to build this temple, build a house for the, for, for the Ark. And Nathan is just like, you know, he's excited. He's like, yeah, let's go for it. You know, and then he goes and does what any prophet's supposed to do, and he actually talks to God about it. And God says, no, no, Nathan, I've got other plans. I've, I'm going to do some different things with, with David. I have a better idea. And so uh, God's better idea starts in the middle of verse 10 and goes to 14. And I want to read it again so that we can kind of get the, the context here. He says, God says, moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house, will build David a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. Now, these verses make up something that's called the Davidic covenant. And one of the things that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is we've been taking you through these covenants that were made in the Old Testament. And I don't know whether Pastor Ben had done it last week, but I know that the week before, I failed to explain exactly what a covenant is. So I want to take a moment and explain to you what a covenant is. Basically, it's an agreement that is made between two parties. In the case of this Davidic covenant, it's an agreement that's made between God and David. And covenants are a lot different than the contracts that you and I are familiar with. 
okay? Because we enter into contracts with people all of the time. Uh, but there's a couple significant differences. The first of all is uh, covenants, uh, they last forever, where a contract is only for a, a certain period of time. Uh, Secondly, uh, a contract typically only involves one aspect of, of a person. And I'll give you an example. Let's say that I, I write a contract with an electrician to come into my house and do some electric works to, to fix a couple outlets. I only really care about one aspect of this electrician's life. I want him to be a good electrician. I could care less whether he's been a bad husband or a bad dad or whether he's paying his bills on time, or whether he's a, a good neighbor, or, or, or whether he goes to church or anything like that. You know, I'm just looking for a good electrician to do this piece of work. But a covenant involves the entirety of a person. It involves their, their, their mind, their soul, and their heart. And most of the covenants that are found in the Bible, they're, they're two-sided. In other words, uh, both parties have an expectation that has to be done. And uh, so typically, the covenant is between God and somebody else. So God makes a deal. I'm going to do this, and you're going to do that. And because God is God, you can be confident that he's going to do his part of the deal. But because we're human, you can't be so confident. Because we don't always fulfill our commitments. We can't always be trusted to do the things that we're supposed to do. And so what happens is in these covenants, there, there are blessings to people if they hold up their end of the deal. And there are curses to people if they don't hold up their end of the deal. Now, in this particular case, uh, God is not interested in David building him a place for the Ark of the Covenant to be kept in a place where there's going to be worship. That's not on his agenda. Instead, God wants to make a covenant with David. So God tells David, look, dude, you're not going to build uh, me a house. Instead, I'm going to build you a house. But now what we know from the very beginning of this passage, though, in the very first verse, David's living what? He's living in a house of cedar. So David doesn't need a house. That's not the thing that God is going to build. He's not going to build David a house built out of stone and timber and metal. Now what God is going to do is God is going to create the house he's going to create for David. He's going to create a dynasty. That's what he's going to create. Now when we think of dynasties, we think of the Steelers of the 70s or the Lakers of the 80s, or the Bulls of the 90s, or unfortunately, those stinking patriots of the entire 21st century, all right? Those are dynasties that we think of, but none of those hold a candle to the dynasties that God is going to create, because he is going to build a dynasty, a kingdom that is going to last forever. And it's important for us to remember that. You know, all of this talk of, of, of temples and houses and things like that and, 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 and kingdoms at last, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a pretty significant building program right now. And in a matter of a, a less than two months, uh, all of this stuff is going to be gone. We're going to have a lot more space and things like that. But what we need to, to understand is God is not all that interested in buildings. God is interested in his kingdom. 
He's interested in uh, a kingdom that captivates people's hearts and minds and souls, where his son is king and where people focus is on him, a kingdom that lasts forever. And, and, and all of this stuff, folks, it's just a tool. That, that's all that this is. This is a wrench, this building. It is simply a, 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 a tool to be used so that, so that more people can encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ, so more kids can learn about the truth of God's word, so, so more people can be cared for through, through compassion ministries and stuff like that. And if we get all about this building, we miss the entire thing because none of this stuff is what's important. This is what is important. And those who aren't here yet is what's important. And those who are struggling in our community is what is important. And because that's what God is about. He's, God is about building a kingdom. He's not about building an individual church. He's about building a kingdom that's comprised of, of, of Christians from all over the world and through all times. And it's a kingdom where people are going to find more hope and more joy and more life than anybody can possibly imagine. Now, to understand how all this kingdom stuff is supposed to work, we, we need to understand that, that uh, this covenant is also a prophecy. It, it, it's talking about something that's ultimately going to happen in the future. But in the Bible, when you look at prophecies, there, there's actually two components to a prophecy. There, there's, a, there's a near-term part of the prophecy, something that's happening right around when the prophecy is occurring. And then there's a, a future element of the prophecy. So in other words, what happens is when, when you're reading this, there, there's stuff that's going to happen in the near term and there's stuff that's going to happen in the future. And it all gets meshed together. Together, and it makes it kind of hard to understand. And uh, so we're going to try to, to ferret through this a little bit. So look at verses 11 and 12. Uh, it says, When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. In other words, God starts out his covenant, his prophecy with David, and he says this, David, there is only one thing that you need to do to fulfill this, pro or to fulfill this covenant. It's to die. That's all you got to do. You just got to live your life, and you got to die, and you have carried your part of the deal. That's what you need to do. However, God's part of the covenant, it's a lot more significant than that. God says, you know what, David, after you die, I'm going to raise up one of your offspring, one of your own sons, and I'm going to establish your offspring's kingdom. And your offspring is going to build a house for me, and in return, I'm going to establish his throne. And you've got to remember that when it comes to prophecy, many times there, there is this near-term component. And so let's deal with the near-term. What's going to happen here? Well, God's going to raise up a son for David. And his name's going to be Solomon. And Solomon is ultimately going to be the one who secedes David in his throne and who ultimately builds a temple for God to house the Ark of the Covenant. So here's how it's going to work. David's going to die his son Solomon is going to take his place on the throne. Solomon's going to build a house for God that we know that is Solomon's temple. Beautiful. 
I mean, having a, a son follow in his father's footsteps, uh, completing a dream that his father had. Folks, that's all very, very beautiful. But here's the rub with that. It's not going to last. As beautiful as it is, Solomon's going to die one day. As beautiful as the temple is, it's going to get tore down one day. It's going to get dismantled one day. It's going to get destroyed one day. So what in the world is God talking about when he says this offspring's kingdom is going to last forever at the end of verse 12? What's he talking about? Because Solomon's uh, kingdom isn't going to last forever, and Solomon's temple isn't going to last forever. Well, that's the future component of this prophecy, a prophecy uh, that's even more beautiful than a son fulfilling his father's dreams. So look at verse 13. He says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will not take, and I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So who's God talking about here? Who's this one who will be the son of God? Who is this one who will be confirmed in God's house and whose kingdom will never end? Well, we find that answer in another prophecy that occurs some 300 years later. So here's what happens with, with David's kingdom. You got David. David does his thing and dies. Solomon takes over. Solomon does his thing and dies. And then a whole lineage of followers, of people from David's bloodline take over. And you know what? They are horrific kings. Terrible kings. They, they, they are creating chaos for the next several hundred years. So much chaos that God removes his hand of protection from the nation of Israel. Israel gets broken up into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And uh, the Babylonians come in and they take over the northern kingdom. The Assyrians come in, they take over the southern kingdom. There's no Davidic kingdom left. And that's where the prophet Isaiah shows up. 300 years later, everything is in tatters. Everything is destroyed. Everything is ruined. And the prophet Isaiah comes along and says this, words that are very familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, uh, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 200 years after Solomon dies, Isaiah declares a child will be born who will be mighty God himself. He will assume the Davidic dynasty that has been completely wrecked. And God the Father uh, will ensure that he reigns over this kingdom forevermore. It will be a kingdom unlike any other kingdom ever known. It will be a kingdom of perfect peace and perfect justice and perfect righteousness. It will be a kingdom that we all long for, but in this life we can never seem to obtain. 
And some 700 years later, after that, God fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. First, he does it through the words of an angel who appears to a scared teenage girl. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting that this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Isaiah had declared Years before that a child would be born who would be great, that he would be called the son of the most high, and that he would permanently assume the throne of David, and this child's kingdom would be endless, and it gets fulfilled here in the beginning of Luke. But there's a second appearance that occurs, and this appearance isn't to this young girl who's afraid, it's instead to a group of shepherds who are afraid and they're tending their sheep near a tiny village called Bethlehem outside the city of Jerusalem. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that God's promise to David was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, both fully God and fully man. And Jesus is the perfect king who reigns over the perfect kingdom. And he invites you and he invites me to be subjects of that kingdom. We live in a world of pain and suffering and brokenness, in a world of financial turmoil, unimaginable poverty, corporate greed, and fleeting wealth that we chase after that never, ever manages to satisfy. We live in a world of evil tyrants, of brutal dictators, of self-focused elected leaders. We live in a world that is filled with anger and rage and disappointment and pride. We live in a world of miscarriages where two-day-old babies have to have open-heart surgery. We live in a world of autism and epilepsy, of unforeseen accidents that steal away people that we love very much. We live in a world of disappointing marriages and of abuse and broken relationships. That's the world that we live in. Yet God's word cries out and he calls to you and he calls to me and he says, come, everyone who thirsts, 
Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me here, that your soul may live. And catch this last part. And I will make with you and with me an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Do you see what God is offering here? We read about all of this stuff in the past, and God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve and with Abraham and David. Noah. But what God is saying right here is he wants to make a covenant with you and me. That's what he desires. God wants to meet our greatest needs. He wants to heal our greatest hurts. He wants to restore our greatest losses. He wants to redeem our greatest sin. God wants to save us not only from this very difficult world, but you know what he wants to do? He wants to save us from ourselves. He wants to save us from this lie of self-sufficiency that we think somehow that we can make it to him on our own. He wants to save us from relying on our own flawed wisdom that says, you know what, I know more than what God knows. I don't need to listen to what he says in his word. I, I, I have a, he doesn't understand what my life is like. He wants to, to save us from our pride, which ultimately leads us only to destruction. And he wants to save us from the pain that we afflict on ourselves and the pain that we inflict on others. Ultimately, he wants to save us from our own sin, folks. That's what he's all about. And he did that through the sacrifice of that baby some 30 plus years later on a cross on a hill called Golgotha. And that child grew up and he lived. He lived a life that you and I could never ever live. And he went to a cross and he paid the price for my sin and for your sin. And I don't know how long your list of sin is, but guys, mine is way long. And Jesus paid this debt of God's wrath against my sin. One for years that I foolishly thought I could pay on my own. And how did he pay that? He paid by dying by having his flesh ripped from his body, by having his blood poured out of his veins, and by suffocating to death. And you know what? The Bible tells us that he did it voluntarily. No one made him go. It tells us that he went for what? The joy that was set before him. 
He suffered all of that stuff because he loves us so very, very much. And he wants us to be a part of that kingdom, a kingdom that's going to last forever, a kingdom that is here now but has yet to come. And so for those of you in here who have repented of your sins and you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, live like you're in the kingdom. Live like that. Love like that. Forgive like that. It's a perfect place. Act like you're actually a son and daughter of the king. Don't worry about what other people think about you or what other people do to you or whatever the people say about you. Realize you've been accepted by the one who matters more than anything else in the entire universe, the God who created it all. And if you're not yet in that kingdom, I pray that you would grow really weary of being on the outside. I pray that God would give you glimpses of what your life could actually be like to live in the forgiveness that that he has to live in the restoration that he offers, to understand there is no sin too great, no wound too severe that can't be healed and covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And run to him and participate in that covenant. Confess your sins. He already knows them. He sees them all. Confess them to him. Turn from them. And cling to those nail-scarred feet and in faith receive him and become part of a kingdom that never ends. Would life be easier? Nope. Probably going to be harder. But there will be a joy that you have never, ever been able to experience that you so deeply need. Don't let another Christmas go by without doing that. And guys, I can't make that happen. Pastor Ben can't make that happen. Your small group leader can't make that happen. We can't make you fall in love with Jesus. The only person that can make you fall in love with Jesus is Jesus. He's the one who's got to soften your heart. Ask him to do that. He's the one that's got to show you how incredibly beautiful that he is. Ask him to do that. And he will do that. He will draw you to himself. And he will put in you the ability to own those sins that you don't want to own. And to give them away to him. And he will help you to have faith that you never thought that you could possibly have. And when you repent of your sins and when you receive him in faith, you become a child of the king. And that's what this passage is all about. Don't live on the outside of the kingdom. There's no need to. What this world offers is nothing compared to the eternity that God has for us. Lord God, thank you for these folks. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that uh, 
your son is the perfect king and that he has created the perfect kingdom. And Lord, while it is a present reality, it is also a future to come. And Lord, I pray that those in this room who have confessed their sins and received your son through faith, that Lord, that we would live like children of the king. Lord, we don't have to live like we're trapped in a pit. Lord, help us live lives of generosity and love and forgiveness and hope and faith and kindness and patience and goodness. Help us to live like that, Lord. Let our lives shine in front of others so that they might see you. God, do that. And Lord, for those in this room who have yet to come to faith in you, God, do only what you can do. Draw these folks to yourself. Lord, gently show them their sin as you showed us our sin and help them turn from it because it's only a trap. Our sin says that it's pleasurable, but Lord, it's ultimately a trap. And give them the ability, Heavenly Father, to repent and believe so that you might be glorified. And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.